Billy, it's that time of year. Oh, do you mean time to sneak my Q1 OKRs through because everyone's switched off for the holidays? Well, you're half right. I mean, OKRs are never really agreed until we're about two weeks into the quarter anyway, right? Or is that just my experience? Mm, no comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll keep that quiet. I'm, but what I meant is that it's time to get into the holiday spirit, to think about what we want to find under the tree. Oh, well, I'm about to start a new job, so it'd be nice to have Father Christmas gift me a great product strategy to kickstart the year with. Well, I'm not sure about the Father Christmas or... Santa, as we call him. Uh, but I'm confident that our guest today can make sure that whatever strategy you have, it's in the best possible shape and that you communicate it really well. That will do, Randy. I mean, I also have your present to look forward to, but you'll have to work hard to make it as good as the chat we had with Altia CPO, Chiedza Maguti. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week on the podcast, we talk to the best product people from around the globe. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and discover more. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium content, discounts to our conferences around the world, and training opportunities. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities. There's probably one near you. Hi, Chiedza. It's so great to be talking to you on the podcast today. Hello, Lily. Good evening. And hello, Randy. I think it's evening for all of us, right? So <laughs> yeah, we're good. It's evening, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <And> yeah. <laughs> we could make it work. So yeah, I'm really grateful. So we're going to be talking about strategy today, which is one of my favorite subjects. But before we get started, it would be great if you could give the world, the podcast, product podcast world, a quick intro to who you are and what you do in product. Great. So, um, yeah, so obviously my name is Chiedza. I'm Zimbabwean and um, my journey in product started out as a business analyst. So I was working with engineers, with architects, with QAs. I was in my happy place uh, writing hundreds of pages of documents and specs and everything. Uh, and I used to work with product managers a lot, but I was more like the technical support person. So sort of taking all of the high level stuff they did and then blowing it up into the stuff that the engineers needed um, to make it actually work. And then over time, I was um, asked if I wanted to join the product team. And I was really terrified because, you know, as a business analyst, you work with quite a lot of certainty. So, you know, the specs that you get are sort of pretty set. But then, you know, product for me looked like I was like, there's so much uncertainty and you're having to deal with all these people who have like all of these ideas. Some of them are really like quite far away, super visionary. And I just thought there's no way that I can manage those things and those people without sort of the business analyst and me being like, that's not possible. We've got product debt. We're not going to make it on time. The architect is not made like that. So I never thought that I could be the person that could actually sort of sort of herald and shepherd people into the right direction. So like, hmm, okay, so you want to do that thing. Tell me more, you know? I was always like, no, no, no. So it took me a while to get comfortable with the idea of of working in product and 
realizing that I could actually thrive in it and that I could use the experience I had from delivery to actually support the more high level strategic work um, that was going on. So there was a process of reinventing myself and also reinventing what success looks like for me. So success for me doesn't look like, you know, writing, having like the most amazing uh, requirements spec or the most amazing user stories. But now it was like, what are the outcomes of the conversations that we've had with all these stakeholders? Are people aligned? Um, are people buying into the vision and feeling that we are moving in that direction? So I was moved into product, which was, you know, after six months of, really struggling uh, to to make that move and reinvent myself, I started to really get into it and really enjoy it. So I started out in payments and then I moved into credit ratings and then into sort of foreign exchange. And then most recently I was working in digital banking. And what I do now has changed a lot. So it's sort of gone from what I was talking about, super detailed work. And now that I'm now working at InsureTech called Alteos um, as the chief platform officer. And now it's really about, you know, leading people and empowering people to, to do great work, build really great products and build great relationships with our customers. So I think I feel like I've gone through a process of reinventing myself um, a few times and, and getting comfortable with where I am now. So, yeah, that's what I do. I think it's really interesting when you come from a background of delivery um, and I had a similar kind of journey. I was a project manager before I became a product manager. Um, you really appreciate the need for for clarity of purpose uh, and kind of clarity of direction for the team, which I think then makes you a stronger product manager because you understand the the advantages of having that clarity like within the team. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I think it also gives you that edge because, you know, even when you are having those super very high level visionary conversations, you sort of know the little questions to like poke people to sort of build that clarity. So it's not that you're saying to them, I want you to write it, but it's about how can I extract that from you, play it back to you and then really share it with the team. So and the other thing that I've also really learned is also continuously sharing it with everyone and saying, right, you know, like, does this make sense? And then if there are changes, you know, what's the context and why those changes and sort of taking that stuff that's super visionary um, and just repackaging it for all the different audiences, which is something that you learn a lot in delivery because, you know, one minute you're talking to an engineer, then you're talking to a QA person, then you're talking to an operations person. And then, you know, you'd have to deal with so many different people communicating about so many different things, context switching. So I think this also really helped to prepare me for, for what I'm doing now. So one of the key elements and the thing we really wanted to, to talk to you about is putting together your strategy and then communicating it. So, so Chianza, I saw you talk a few months ago in Hamburg, and it relates to what you were just talking about, about the, the elements that go into a good strategy and then how you communicate it. So mm -hmm. let's, before we talk about communicating and, and getting everyone else, let's talk about what you have to have in there. So you said uh, there were four things. There was clarity, empathy, focus, and trust. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's go through those really quickly. Uh, so what do you mean by clarity? What do you, how do you know that you have clarity in your strategy? Um, you'll know you have clarity if you have 
I wouldn't call them fewer escalations, but if you have less of different teams coming with competing priorities, that's when you know that you've got clarity because everybody knows that we're moving in the same direction. I don't think there's a utopia where you kind of have like the strategy so clear so you never have escalations or questions. But I think that if they are very frequent and they're causing tension between teams, then that means that there isn't enough clarity. And, you know, often I think from a leadership perspective, it's also about us taking more responsibility that anything that's not clear on the leadership level will just be amplified for the rest of the team. So actually that clarity, we need to fight for that and really work on that at a leadership level, make sure that we all understand, making sure we're going in the same direction. And this also comes down to thinking about how people are measured in terms of their performance. So this is something that needs to be iterated on and agreed on so that everybody knows that, okay, we're clear, we're moving in the same direction. Of course, there will be times when, you know, someone comes and says, do we do A or B? But if your strategy is clear, then whatever you decide, people should understand why you've chosen A or B and why it makes sense. Uh, and also thinking about, okay, but if we don't do B, then what will happen? When will we do it? So I think trying to figure out, go through those conversations, but you can use your strategy always as that thing that keeps all of you um, going in the right direction. And that's why I think clarity is it's a bit underrated. Um, I think sometimes people have this really far away vision statement and they're like, okay, now go and make that happen. But you really need to break it down in the strategy and make sure it's clear that people actually know that, oh, okay, yeah, we are going the same direction and we're very sure that we're moving slowly towards uh, our, um, our main vision. Yeah. So, so it's a difference between being what's clear in your own head and yes. clear what's in other people's heads. Yeah. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and it's one of those things. Is if you say something, it's always about saying, "How have you heard what I said?" And then someone plays it back. And I've really learned a lot about you know really asking people. So, do you understand like what I've said, or what do you think about what I've said? Or so from what I've said, like what do you think are the things that your teams will need to do to get there? And just by asking some of those questions, then you'll start to see. Okay, I don't think people have quite um, quite understood because. Things can be interpreted in different ways by different people, right? We're all fearfully and wonderfully made and, you know, we're human, we're unique. So we're not all supposed to be the same. So we hear things differently and interpret things differently. And I think one of the other things that you cover off under clarity is the availability and the accessibility of the, the strategy as well. So what what's your kind of like top tips for making sure that the the strategy is really available to the people who need access to it and uh, and making sure that it's, you know, provided in a way that means that, well, yeah, that they have access to it when they need it. Yeah. So I'm a big believer in, um, in my first job, they used to call them road shows. And when I was younger, I didn't really understand. I was always like, I don't understand why these product teams are forever like saying, Hey, we're having a road show. We're delivering this thing. And then I realized like, Oh, actually it's a really good way of reinforcing something. And it's a really good way of getting people on board, getting people excited um, and building up that anticipation for that particular launch. Um, and so what would always happen is we would have road shows. And what I really liked as well was that different people in the team would lead those road shows. So it wasn't always one person who was doing all the talking and sort of disseminating the information. It was shared across the team. So it was, there was this shared responsibility, which meant that that team needed to be so on point and so aligned and really understand okay, what are we going to share? So if the three of us, for example, were in a team, we would agree like this is what the 
This is what our slide deck is going to look like. Um, let's all practice it and go through it together. And then making sure that once you've done the roadshow, you let people know this is where you can find the information and also sharing it through whatever communication channels you use, whether it's Teams or if you're in 1990 email um, or, <laughs> or like on Slack, uh, but making sure that people know where something is. And then I think also it's important to make sure that if there are changes, right? And this goes back to clarity, because if I tell you something today and I say, Randy and Lily, this is where it's available. You've heard what I've said today. And then you go next week and it's different. Then you'll be like, okay, did I hear something wrong or what happened? So if something also changes, thinking about that whole change management and communicating and also with context, not just saying, oh, we were going left yesterday. Now we're going right as you were. You know, people want to understand like, okay, what happened? Why have we changed direction? So more than just making sure it's available, it's also making sure that someone owns that so that on an ongoing basis, you're making sure that if there are changes, uh, you are communicating them. Sometimes you can bunch up the changes so that you're not like publishing something all the time. But I think it's important if there's something significant that people have clarity and they know about it. I've seen roadshows go bad for any number of reasons. I've seen great ones. I've been part of really good ones. I've also been part of bad ones. So mm -hmm. how is it, so there's a couple of elements like how often do you do them? How do you make it so that you're not talking at people, but you're talking with them and, and it's, a, you know, it's a dialogue and a conversation? I think it's important to also be cognizant of what stage the company is in. So, you know, does your strategy change that often? So if it's not going to really change that often, then it probably is fine to have um, a big refresher, right? If it's not too much information for people to consume, then I think that, you know, if you have it once or twice a year, it's fine. I think that if you are a scaling company or a company that's still in its infancy and still growing, then you need to kind of think about, you know, something that we did at Penta was, it wasn't so much about the strategy, but the product team um, sort of every month would talk about highlights. So we'd have a session where we talk about highlights if there were key things that we had actually done. So this was something that was in the diary and then people could attend that session. Uh, but what we try to do was at least three times a year, just really share like, you know, this is our vision and this is how we're doing against our vision. And people could use uh, a tool called Slido. So they could ask questions, they could put their name or could, they could ask them anonymously. And, you know, it, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Sometimes people, no one would say anything. And then you'd be like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have done that. And then sometimes there were like a thousand questions. And then you think, oh, wow, people were super, super interactive. Uh, so I think it can be, it depends also on the size of the company, the frequency of the change. I can imagine now, especially with so much change that's been going on, it's probably a really good time to do some reinforcing, some reminding, also trying to, you know, calm people and just say like, this is what's happening on a macroeconomic level. This is where we are as a company, just to also give people an idea of what's happening. Because right now people, maybe if you're not doing that, could be feeling insecure. So I think it's also about making sure you understand, you know, the stage of the company, sort of what people need to feel secure and also what people need to feel uh, motivated. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I guess the hybrid way of working that we're all well, a lot of teams are in now could potentially make those roadshows like just a little bit more um, complicated or potentially easier because you do them online and then record them and then people can watch them later if they've missed them or whatever. And 
Um, there's nothing I like more than watching a meeting at two times speed so that I've <laughs> saved <laughs> 30 minutes of my life. Um. <laughs> also, something I talked about in, in Hamburg, it feels like so long ago, um, but yeah, it was only in June. But something I talked about is, you know, seeing like who are people who are really engaged and asking them, you know, what do you think? How do you think the session went? And then even approaching the people who weren't engaged, like make, just make sure they know they're not in trouble, but just asking them, like, is there something we could do differently? So you can also sort of learn, because I think sometimes what you find is that disengagement tends to be very like it's specific teams that maybe are disengaged. So also trying to understand how can we adapt this for people to to feel like, oh, okay, yeah, this is actually really speaking to me. I feel really involved. I think we had feedback once where a team felt like, we're not represented at all, but we've been doing all of this hard work and it's not fair. And certain teams are always in the spotlight. So it's also that tricky, tricky balance, right? So you're making sure that you're not talking about the same teams all the time. Uh, and that's not easy. Uh, that's not easy. And one of the other elements that you talk about making up a good strategy is empathy. So tell us a bit about your experience of like how you've brought empathy into the strategy. So something that I try to to do is because now with the roles that I do, I'm a lot further away from the details of, of what's actually going on. And I think teams prefer that, right? Because you, you wouldn't want, I don't think they would want to see me in like their planning or their retros or whatever. So they don't want to see me there all the time. But what definitely something that I do like to understand is that um, what are your wins and what are your struggles? So what are the things as a team that you really feel are not moving, that you feel are directly connected to maybe the company is moving in a certain direction and not giving you an opportunity to breathe, to try to sort things out because you know something else is going to come along that's going to make it 10 times harder. So trying to really understand about, you know, what are some of the team's struggles and then how can I, in the role that I have, make sure that I am communicating this upwards and really highlighting that, you know, these are some of the things that we want to do in future, but to really empower the teams, we need to address some of some, you know, I don't like to call it technical debt because it's rebranded in my mind as product debt. So to really understand what are the things that we need to clear, because this is something that does really disengage teams is that. They keep telling you, like, we need to do this, we need to fix this. And then you're like, of course, of course, next quarter, I promise we're going to do it. And then they see this long list of stuff and they're just like, okay, so when can we do the stuff you promised? And it's like, no, 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 not this coming quarter, but the one afterwards. And then eventually they start to lose that trust and that faith. And then they also feel like you don't empathize with them. You don't empathize with maybe how tricky the code base is becoming, or you don't empathize with, okay, you know, we've been asking you for clarity and feedback. You're not replying my emails. You're not replying my Slack. So one of the ways I try to make sure that, you know, I'm bringing empathy is 360 feedback, which is really, really painful sometimes. So like asking teams, like, you know, what am I not doing? Uh, for you to succeed and then they're like well <laughs> and then I get like a list of things that I need to work on which is good so then I can get a sense of of where people are and then I try to get quotes from teams so I try to get quotes from teams about the strategy what they think and then share those quotes uh, to open up the conversation because I think when people see their peers are being open or their peers have made a comment 
it sort of unlocks that, um, oh, okay, so I can also say something too. So really trying to make sure that people feel that not only am I approachable, but they are actually a very significant part of the strategy and where we're going. So that's that's what I try to do, but I'm still trying to be better. So I'm always open to, to more ideas because mm-hmm. I don't think learning ever stops. Okay, Lily asked you about empathy there, and you did answer that, but it sounds like you also uh, went into trust as well. So I just want to be make sure, is there anything else in, in tr- uh, that we should cover in, in the trust element of these of these four elements? Yeah, I mean, I think with trust, you know, obviously I've covered it, right, where if someone says, you know, this is some really want to do this, and then you say, yeah, we're definitely going to do it. Um, I think you have to be very mindful, especially if you're in a leadership position, how you respond to people about, making like making commitments to people without actually having that signed off and agreed and understood. So, you know, I've fallen into that trap because, you know, I'm a people pleaser in recovery, as people say. So I've really learned that, you know, sometimes you have to sit with that uncomfortable moment or feeling when you think you've let someone down, but actually people would rather have that difficult conversation and know the truth than for you to like lie to them just for like temporary relief. So I think there, there's the trust and also just being vulnerable. You know, sometimes I just say to the teams, right now, I honestly don't know. And I need a bit of time to to have a think about it. Because I'm definitely someone that needs to process, to think about things. It's like a puzzle in my head. So I think, okay, if I move this here and then I do this, how will I do this? How will I pitch it to the leadership team, et cetera? So also that vulnerability, um, just, you know, showing my team like, you know, I might be in this position, but I definitely don't know everything. So I need you to also um, trust me, work with me and tell me exactly how we can sort of sort some of this stuff out. So, yeah, that's what I would add. Um, And then the fourth element was focus. Um, And I really like this because, you know, I think that's kind of what a strategy is all about is like, you know, the things that you're saying no to as well as the things that you're saying yes to. So, Tell us a bit more about like how you bring focus into your strategy. Yes. So at a leadership level, I like to work with context or pillars or whatever it's called. Um, You can use whatever you want. So for example, you know, I would have like revenue or acquisition or retention. And the first question that I ask to the leadership team is, you know, as an organization, whether it's from uh, where we want to get to investor expectations. So the big things, what is the thing that is going to get us in the right direction, given all of these constraints? Because, you know, we have to all be honest, we all operate within certain constraints, right? And we have certain expectations and certain milestones that we need to hit. And that question always opens a Pandora's box because (laughs) everybody's like, oh, I think it's this. Oh, I think it's this. And then really sort of nailing that down to say, okay, if we say it's revenue, then this is what our priorities could look like. These are the trade-offs that potentially might come. So trying to make sure that we have everything on the table, but we are going with a really big theme. And then if there is some sort of space that we can have like another theme. So I always would prefer to go with like one big thing so we can tell the big story and then say, you know, supported by X. Because I don't think for the size of companies that sort of I've been in a leadership position, so this is like scaling companies, you're not yet at that stage where you have like 75 engineering teams. So you have to be very aware that this is the capacity we have. And if we actually want to do something, not just well, 
but super duper, super well, then we need to have focus because if we don't have focus, what ends up happening is that maybe you ask all these engineering teams to build something, but all of the supporting teams are then becoming a bottleneck. So, you know, like marketing, like sales, like business development, because they can only handle a certain amount of things at a certain amount of time, right? So we also have to be very fair and understand that maybe you can deliver this laundry list, but what happens next, right? Are we really going to get the numbers or the outcomes that we expect if we are putting so much pressure on the teams that actually help us get our products out there. So having that discussion about focus is really, really important. Um, a big lesson that I learned is that once a quarter starts, start planning for the next one because it's an ongoing, it's an iterative mm -hmm. thing. Just like rip the bandaid off, just start, right? <laughs> Kick off <laughs> Celebrate for a week, breathe, but then say, okay, everybody. So, you know, like someone laughed and it was January, you know, second week of January. I was like, so Q2 planning, it was like, but we just started Q1 and I was like, I know, but trust me, even when we get to the end of Q1, we won't have finished planning Q2, even if we start now. Uh, but I think it gives everybody an opportunity to kind of get their thoughts on paper and you start having those conversations bit by bit so that by the time you get to the end of the quarter, you're in a, you're in a really good place. You're aligned. You've had all of your uh, difficult conversations or your arguments. Everybody stated their case and um, then you can all move um, in the right direction. I'm curious. Uh, this is focused at kind of a macro level. I'm curious about your thoughts about doing it at a micro level as well. This, you know, sometimes you have teams with dependencies on other teams uh, and ensuring that there's the right amount of communication and collaboration. And some people just say, no, we, we refuse to have any dependencies between teams. Uh, you know, you have to own it full stack. So how do you handle this in terms of a focus with teams? Do you like collaboration between them? Do you try and break it down into really small things? Wow, please, can you take me to where there are no dependencies? <laughs> take me there. Take me there. Um, for me, collaboration is key. Um, I, I'm such a big advocate for teams working together um, and understanding what the other team is doing. I don't know if you can be so divorced from what another team is doing to the extent that you just don't collaborate at all. So, you know, at least from a product team perspective, we get together and talk about all of the different things that we're doing. So people ask each other questions. Um, and then one thing that worked, and I, this is not easy to manage at all, but is having the roadmap in sort of one tool and the dependencies are actually really mapped out really, really well. And then as a team, like every two weeks, we kind of go through that because why is that important? Because if something moves by like a week, then you can see the effects that it has on the rest of the plan. So you can see the knock-on effect for all the different teams. And really what I want people to do that is so they take really understand they have to take ownership of, you know, talking to their stakeholders and engaging them to understand, okay, marketing, this is the situation. We are running three weeks behind schedule. What had you planned? Because for all you know, they've got an external agency that they've got lined up to do something where they've got really rigid payment terms. So if we don't meet a particular date, it could be money down the drain. So having this big sort of visualization of what's going on. And I take the point that, you know, I'm not like at a huge, huge company. So, you know, I can just talk about the experiences I've had, but it really helped a lot to put everything kind of in one place. The big sort of 
big themes, not like every single little ticket. No, that would just be hell on earth, but at least the big things and really having those dependencies to make it clear. Plus, I think also from a senior leadership perspective, when people can visualize how interconnected the teams are, and then we want to talk about, hey, we need to split these certain things out. It makes for a much easier story and say, if we try to separate things, there will be less of these red lines and spaghetti junction all over the place, and the teams will be able to operate a little bit more um, independently. I don't know if you can be like totally divorced from each other, but at least to have some level um, of independence, which does take uh, investment and focus. And you hinted at this a minute ago um, about kind of looking at quarterly planning. How often would you sort of visit your product strategy and, and kind of what sort of time frame do you anticipate that to, to be relevant for? I can tell you that from moving from a corporate to a scaling company, um, I would be like, oh, yeah, before in a corporate, you're just like, yeah, a couple of times a year where you really sit down to look at it. But in a company that's scaling in a market that is moving so fast, macroeconomic conditions changing all the time, I think you have to always, I think as a product leader, just for yourself, just check in with yourself. I'm not talking about bringing the whole team in, but I think just, you know, once a month, just checking in with yourself. What's happening? Do I still feel like we're going in the right direction? Is there something that we need to like change? Are there conversations that I need to start thinking about and planning? Um, and I think that for a lot of people who I speak to who are product leaders, a lot of times they're underwater with the real deep details. But I think that the issue is that, no, but your strength, your power, your value is at this strategic level, right? Where you can already start thinking and anticipating what could come. But if you're super in the weeds, you're not going to be able to breathe to even think about all of these other conversations that you might need to start planning. So just for myself, I would be just looking at it, checking it with myself, um, just at least once a month, asking myself, like, you know, what's going on? Even how am I feeling? You know, am I still, you know, being present and I still being the leader that's giving people the clarity, the empathy, the focus, the trust? Or am I actually causing uh, lack of focus? Am I actually maybe being quite disruptive? So just checking in with myself. Um, so I would say, like, yeah. Once a month, just check in with myself, make sure everything is in a scaling company. A month is like a year. Chiyotsu, <laughs> <laughs> this has been fantastic. I think we've got time for just one or two more questions. So uh, one thing that's come up again and again with people that I've, I've coached and people I've worked with, um, when you're the head of product, when you're the CPO, you're doing strategy. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But when you're product manager, senior product manager, you're trying to contribute to it, but you may not have done this before. So how do you get your get your reps in? How do you practice in and get good at doing strategy? Oh, that's a really good question. So when, you know, I was super lucky because I had a manager who just was so good. He would just throw me in the deep end and just be like, yeah, so like, this is the vision. So like, how do you think we should, you know, plan our strategy to contribute to that? And I'd look at him and be like, why are you asking me? Like, I have no idea. Uh, and then he just started to help me to think about, you know, how do you break all of these things down? Um, how do you start connecting all of the different dots? So he would actually sit with me while he was thinking things through. So I could also learn from him. And also he let me shadow him a lot. So he would take me to some meetings where, you know, I'd be sitting there thinking, I, 
I don't, should I be hearing all of this? Like, should I actually be here? But it actually helped me to gain a lot of confidence and also really understand how these conversations were happening at that senior leadership level. So, you know, one thing that I do try and do is to at least invite someone from the product team to come to a senior leadership meeting. So if there is something that they want to pitch that they want to do in a coming quarter, book them a slot during that meeting so they can come and present and, and talk about it. And then they can also hear the questions firsthand rather than the questions coming through me. Um, so they kind of get that exposure, um, get that feedback, and then see how they can maybe adapt or change and then how they felt in that meeting. So asking them afterwards, like, how was that for you? How did you find it? You know, were you surprised? I think I had a product manager who came and, you know, she presented something and then at the end, she was like, oh, anyone have any questions? And they were, no, no, that was great. And she was like, is that it? I don't know what she was expecting, a grilling. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, she practiced it and we'd practiced it together. So, you know, by the time she got there, it was like, yeah, it was good. So she really enjoyed that. She shared that with the rest of the team. So I would definitely try to do that. And also, even when I'm trying to think about, okay, how should we plan all of this stuff? I try to involve the team as much as I can. It's not so easy with hybrid um, working or with teams that are remote. Uh, for me, someone, this is new for me. So it's not like I've worked in a remote company. So I'm also trying to think of ways we use Miro a lot. So trying to also get teams to, for us to work together and almost build in public so they can also see like, okay, this is the vision, this is the strategy, and these are the pieces that we're putting together um, and really being highly collaborative. So, you know, trying to be very, sort of intentional, I keep using that word because, you know, it's something that I've really, with the situation that we had with all of this remote working, you have to almost force the interactions you would be having in person um, and try and recreate them, which is which is not always easy. And it's like another layer um, of responsibility that you have. Yeah, I love that. The, um, I, uh, the That kind of slightly unnerving feeling of when you've delivered uh, a presentation to your team or, or the business and everyone seems really engaged but no one's got any questions and you're like was that just really good and I covered everything or was that just people not paying attention at all well, you know it's hard to tell right when it's when when everyone's online because you know people are probably like on slack you know you can see people like this yeah <laughs> and yeah <then> you're like <laughs> listening <laughs> Cheers. This has been so great. And um, unfortunately, we've run out of time. It's flown by so quick. But um, uh, it's yes. been amazing to hear your tips around product strategy. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. That was good fun. We could have talked forever, but we have to stop. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> The Product Experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg based band POW, that's P A U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. <laughs>